with Psalm 103. I want to start by asking you a question. When we sang this morning, did you feel like you were really praising God? Did your praise seem real to you? Or did it in some way feel like it wasn't good enough? Like you weren't really praising God? That somehow or another when you were singing, you were faking it. 1 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. So when I read this psalm, I had that in my mind, that this is written specifically for us to learn from this. And so I tried to learn, I tried one of this when I was looking at it, who do I think would struggle with this the most? Who would struggle with praising God the most? And who would just have this difficult time or maybe not connect with it? And who needed to hear it? And I thought of two different groups of people. Now, there's obviously more than just these two groups of people. But I want to just talk about these two groups of people this morning that I think will be affected by it. The first one is someone who feels like their praise isn't real. They feel like they're somehow faking it. Or they're a hypocrite because their lives aren't perfect. Because they struggle with sin. And they don't feel like they're a good Christian. So picture this. Picture a guy named Jim, right? So Jim's been a Christian for quite a while now. And he really wants to be a, a good Christian. He wants to do what's right. He wants to obey God. He wants to follow God. He wants to read his Bible every day. He wants to pray every day. He wants to praise God. But it just seems like he never does it. It just seems like it never happens. So he doesn't want to, he just, he just never does. And then he comes to church and he looks around and he sees these people and he sees them praising God and he thinks, I'm just not as spiritual as they are. He's like, I can't do it all. I just can't seem to keep up with it all. And so he feels in many ways like he's a failure because his life isn't perfect. He's not spiritual enough. And because of that, it just doesn't seem like it's real. And when people talk about praising God, he just... He thinks, I can't really relate to that. I, I just don't know how to praise God in that way. It, just, it doesn't seem real for some reason. The second type of person, I think, uh, that comes to my mind is someone who feels like God is always mad at them. Someone who feels like God is always disappointed with them. Always condemning them. Because they keep on struggling. And they keep on sin, sinning even though they know better than that. So picture Julie. Julie's a Christian, and although she knows in her head that God forgives her, in her heart, it seems like so many times her heart just doesn't quite believe it. And it seems like these same old problems keep coming back again. And yes, they don't come back as frequently. And yes, she seems to be able to get over it quicker and quicker than she used to be. And it doesn't drag her down as much as it does, but she still struggles, and so she still feels like her praise just falls short. Like it's just not good enough. Like it's just not real. And so I just want to ask you again, how about you? Do you feel like your praise is real? Does it feel like you're sincere when you're praising God? So just as we dive into this, I just want to, I just want to pray for us. Father God, we come before you now. Lord, we're going to open up your word. Lord, 
And we want to know how to praise you, Lord. We want to know what praise is, what you expect from us, Lord, because we want to praise you. And we want to love you with all our heart and soul and might and strength. And so we just pray for your Holy Spirit to come upon us this morning, Lord. Open our hearts so we can, uh, our ears so we can hear, and our hearts, Lord, and just let your Spirit in. Lord, let us understand this. In your precious and your holy name I pray. Amen. So the biggest thing that you need to know is that your praise does not have to be perfect to be real. Let me say that again. Your praise doesn't have to be perfect to be real. Because what God wants from you is not perfection. But what God wants from you is something that is real. And He wants your praise to be real. But we have this idea sometimes that if our praise isn't perfect, then our praise is not real. And that if it isn't perfect, we're somehow a hypocrite. Or somehow our praise isn't good enough. So where do we get these ideas from that this idea of perfection or our praise isn't real? There's really several different places that we get it, and two of them are right here in this Scripture. So we read verse 17 and 18, and listen to what it says again. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children to children to those who keep His covenant and those who remember to do His commandments. But we don't always do that, do we? We don't always keep His commandments. We don't always keep His covenant. We don't always obey God, right? We don't live these sin-free lives. And so we don't praise God perfectly. This Scripture then has an example, and the example that it uses is of one of perfect obedience and perfect praise. And this is the angels. In verse 20, 21, it says, Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts and ministers who do His will. See, these angels have perfect obedience. And so these angels have perfect praise. They do His will. They obey Him. You know, these angels get to see Him face to face. And they're in the throne room of God. And so they see God and they praise Him. But we don't do that. And we don't have that opportunity to do it. And we don't have this perfect praise. And it seems like the enemy always takes advantage to let us know that. And so when we're here on Sunday morning trying to praise, we still have this. Third place is Sunday morning. We come to church on Sunday morning, right? And we see other people and their hands are raised up high. And clearly they're praising God in a way that we're not. They sing differently. They talk differently. Their faith is different. It's somehow more spiritual than ours. And we read the words of the song, but we don't always feel them. And then we end up thinking to ourselves, we just don't have a faith like that. We just don't praise God like that. And so the question becomes, does that mean that our praise is not real? Does that mean that we're hypocrites? Does that mean that God will not answer us and listen to us when we praise God? And the answer is absolutely not. Because praise doesn't have to be perfect. And we don't have to be perfect. And we are not perfect and God loves us. 
And God forgives us anyway. And the whole point of the Bible is to show how God loves and forgives failed, sinful people and how we respond to that. And so if you only get this one thing this morning, get this. Our praise can never be perfect, but it can be real. Our praise can never be perfect, but it can be real. And the fact that our praise can't be perfect is what makes it real. Because what's the first thing that David prays for? What's the first thing that David praises God for? The very first thing that David praises God for is that he forgives David's sins. And you can look at Psalms like Psalm 51. You can, you can think of the story of David with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, and all that stuff that takes, that takes place. And you see David's sins. And you see that David's sins are great. And when he goes to praise God, the first thing he praises God for is that his sins are forgiven. And that's real praise. It's not perfect, and David's not perfect, but it's real praise because David said, look, I have sinned, and I repent. Will you forgive me? And God forgives him. And David praises God for forgiving his sins. And the proof that God forgives sins is the proof that our praise is real. Or the, I should say the fact that God forgives sins. That's the proof that our praise is real. Because we don't need perfect praise. We need real praise, which is praising God for the things that we know that He has done. So, what are the things that we praise God for? We can really break this down into two different categories as well. Number one is how He treats us. We can praise God for how He treats us. This is the this is the mercy and the compassion part of God that we're going to look at. The other thing is we can praise God for who He is. And we're going to look at that as well. So, so when we praise God for how He treats us, this Scripture goes through and it gives us really three different uh, ways that God treats us. He loves us, He forgives us, and He has compassion on us. And so, let's kind of break those down a little bit. First of all, let's look at His forgiving us. To truly understand how he treats us, we need to understand how we should be treated. So, God is the creator of all things. And God is completely holy. And God does not sin, and God does not allow sin to be near him. What is sin? Sin is disobeying God. So, think about it. God gives us these laws, right? And if everyone obeyed these laws, we would live in this place, a world that was completely peaceful, completely perfect. It would be an unbelievable world if everyone obeyed God's law. But people don't, right? And people sin. People lie. People cheat. People steal. And even ourselves, right? We see so much in ourselves. We see this, um, that we're inherently, inherently selfish. Right? We want to put ourselves first. We want what we want. We're prideful. This is just what we naturally do. And so, when we look at sin, wherever sin takes place, there needs to be some kind of a punishment and a restitution. Right? If, if, if someone steals something from you, you want 
the person punished and you want the stuff back that was stolen from you. It's just natural. And everybody has this understanding of this justice of sin deep down. Believer, unbeliever, it doesn't matter. We all have the sense of justice. So when we watch news and we see this great atrocity that takes place, we're instantly outraged, aren't we? We're instantly upset and we instantly think that justice needs to be taken care of. We have this. Um, and the thing is, we want judgment and justice for other people, right? But when it comes to us, do we really want that judgment? Do we really want justice to take place? If we tell that little white lie or, or we do this or we do that, we, we really don't, right? But we deserve to be judged for our sins. And the ultimate judgment, the everlasting, eternal judgment is separation from God. And this is actually what we deserve. That's the way we deserve to be treated. But what did God do? God gives His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. To take our sins. That punishment that's due, He takes our punishment, right? And if we believe in Him, if we repent, if we ask for His forgiveness, He forgives us. So, we do that, right? And we become Christians. And then what do we do? Do we then live the perfect life? Complete obedience? No. What do we do? We sin again, right? And we continue to sin. And we continue to struggle. And it frustrates us. And sometimes it creeps in that we have this feeling that God is mad at us. And we have this feeling that somehow we're disappointing God. Somehow or another, he's condemning us. But what does this passage say about that? It says that God is merciful to us. It says that God is gracious. It says that he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He doesn't always chide. He doesn't keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us for the things that we have done. But instead, it says that he forgives us. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgression from us. So think about that, right? We feel like we're letting God down. We feel like we're letting everybody down. We feel like we've failed again and again and again, and that we kind of deserve whatever's coming our way. And yet God says, I forgive you. And I'm going to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. So picture like this. You get on a plane and you're heading west, and you're in 500 miles an hour. Your sins get on a plane, and they head east, and they're going 500 miles an hour. So here's a math question. In one hour, how far are you away from your sins? 1,000, right? Okay, so after an hour alone, your sins are 1,000 miles away from you. Where are your sins at the end of the day? That's a lot harder. We won't go there. What about the end of a year? So, so we know the curvature of the earth. Let's say you don't curve. You just go east and you just go west. At the end of a week, how far are your sins from you? At the end of a lifetime, how far are your sins away from you? And this is what God is saying. He's saying your sins are as far away from you as they can be. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins are away from you. Your sins are gone. And they aren't coming back. 
And that's what this passage says. That's what Scripture says. God says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm going to remove your sins away from you. And why does He do this? He does this because of His love for you. And this is another thing that we praise God for. We praise Him for His love, right? Because often when we sin, we struggle. And we feel like God doesn't love us anymore. Or maybe we understand He loves us, but we think, well, He doesn't really love us as much as He did before. There must be something here that He doesn't love as much. But He then says this, He says, As high as the heavens are above from the earth, so great is My steadfast love towards those who fear Me. As high as the heavens are above from the earth. When you were a little kid, did you try to jump up and see if you could touch the sun? <laughs> no, I did. Maybe I was the only one. But, you know, it's like you tried to, some, I couldn't even touch the top of the tree, let alone the sun, right? And yet God says that's how high it is. Did you ever picture, and maybe the boys did this, not the girls, but throwing a baseball as high as you can go and having it, like, just keep going? It, you know, escapes the earth. It goes by the moon. It goes by the stars. It goes by the sun. It just keeps on going and going. Did you ever try to figure out how long eternity was? Did you ever try to figure out how big infinity was? God is saying, this is how great my love is for you. And He's saying it to the people who have already sinned, who have already um, disobeyed God. And He's saying, I love you this much, even after you have sinned. And so, how can He love us after we've already sinned, after He's already forgiven us, we've sinned again, He's forgiven us again. The reason is for His compassion. See, His love and His compassion go hand in hand. They work together. He says that He shows us the compassion that a father has because He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. And He is gentle. And He is compassionate. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. And He remembers that we are dust. This is the most amazing thing about this passage. And if I could somehow eloquently teach you what, what this is, or even uneloquently, it would just be amazing. But just try to just picture what He's saying here. He knows you. He knows your frailty. He knows your weaknesses. He knows that you are but dust. And He has this compassion. And He has this love for you. He says it's like a compassion that a father has. And it's like this compassion that a mother has. So, so picture this. A mother's trying to teach the child something, right? Young child. And is teaching them about the stove and the burners and gives this clear instruction. Do not touch the burner and tells the child why don't touch it don't touch it don't touch it and so she decides to make macaroni and cheese and so she puts the pot on the stove and she turns to the cupboard and she's getting down the dishes for the macaroni and cheese and the little child puts their hand on the burner the child is instantly burned what does the mother do at that point when the child starts crying and runs to the mom the mom picks her up, right? The mom picks up the child and holds her, does everything she can to comfort the child. Even though the child disobeyed, even though the child did what was wrong, she doesn't punish the child, but she has compassion for the child. Yeah, the child disobeyed. The child you know, had the suffered the natural consequences of disobedience. But the mother's heart goes out to the child. 
And this is what God is saying. This is my compassion for you. He's saying, I understand your frailty. I understand your weakness. And you know, I, don't, I think like the child, we don't really understand the dangers. We don't understand the implications. I honestly, from my heart, do not believe that we really understand the danger of sin. I don't think we really understand that at all. And I think that God is compassionate. And that God shows that compassion of that Father. Because we don't know what our sins are and we don't know what our consequences are. But God knows what they are. And He shows us this compassion. Like a father with a child, He has this compassion for us. So, in addition to this, we also praise God for who He is. We praise Him for His kingdom, right? God is the creator and maker of all things. He's the King of kings. His kingdom rules over everything. His throne is in heaven. And this great God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And He's abounding in love. Our lives are short. But his kingdom is everlasting. He says, as for man, the days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. Its place doesn't know it. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. He is the loving creator. He is the king. He is the savior. And he redeems us, and he brings us into his kingdom. I want to take a minute and look at some of the practical pieces that we can take just from this understanding of real praise. Because God is after real praise. And there's some practical things that we can take away from this as well. So the first practical thing as we go through Psalms 103 is this. We need to remind ourselves to praise God. We need to remind ourselves to praise God. Because what happens? We forget, right? Life takes over, and we're busy, and we don't. Or we get this feeling like we're not spiritual enough, we're not holy enough, we're not like the other people, and so we end up not doing it. And so we feel like our praise falls short. David felt this too. And what does David do? David talks to himself. The first five verses of this psalm are all David talking to himself. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Meaning, bless the Lord, you know, my soul, me. Bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David realizes that his tendency is to forget what God has done for him. And he's telling himself, remember what God has done. Remember what he has done. Don't forget what he has done and praise God because of it. And we need to do the same. It seems like we listen to ourselves all the time. We're just like, ah, oh, what do I feel like eating? What do I feel like doing? What do I do? This is, we just kind of, wherever our mind or our body tells us to go, we just kind of follow along, and, and that's great. We'll, you know, um, do that. We'll have that, you know, double fudge Sunday, and after that, we're going to have the sherbet for dessert, and <laughs> maybe a snack. We're going to have something else. But, you know, we just kind of follow it all the time. And here David's saying, speak to yourself. Talk to yourself. Say, remember to praise God. Remind yourself to praise Him. Second of all, there's a difference between praise at home and praise that's corporate. Praise that's at church or at a small group or a conference or a retreat, whatever. These are two different things, really. 
Because praise is not just for the individual person. But praise is for when we meet as a congregation as well. And in fact, most of the praise in the Old Testament, most of the praise in the Old Testament is all corporate. It's all corporate praise when we look at it in the Old Testament. So there's this difference between the praise that we have at home and the praise that we have at church, right? Because when you're at home, your praise is often more just spontaneous. Something happens and you praise God and you say thank God for it. So perfect example is my mom. So my mom, for as long as I can possibly remember, when she goes to like the grocery store or the mall or wherever she goes like that, she always prays for like a parking spot like up front. And whenever she gets one up front, she's always praising God right then. And then she comes home and tells us about it as well. She's like, I was praising God. I was right next to the handicapped spot. The door was right there. The spot was right there. And she's so excited because she praises God. There's just these little things that come up. And then we just, we just automatically just like praise God. But sometimes our private praise is we're at home and we're reading either a, a devotional book or we're reading the Bible. And we're reading it and we kind of stop halfway through the paragraph. And we stop halfway through the sentence. And we just think about it. And we just meditate. And we just do that. And in this case, it's, it's quiet. right? It's calm. It's personal. It's just this, just this kind of feeling that we get. But that's what, that's what we praise God during these times. Corporate worship is much more different. right? It's, it's more open. It's filled with more emotion. We have people raising their hands. We have people smiling. Um, sometimes we have people who are, um, you know, their heads are bowed down and there might be tears coming out of their eyes. It's just much, much different when we're together corporately than when we are individually. And it's supposed to be that way. It's the way that God has made it. And so God understands and there's this difference between these two things. Not that there's a difference in you personally, but there's a difference when we're together with other people than when we're individual. And it's supposed to be that way. Which leads me to the next point. Praising God is something that we're not only going to do now, but we're going to do this in eternity. It's going to be this continuous praising of God, right? It is one of these things that we do here on earth today that we will do in heaven tomorrow. We just keep on praising God. And so, here's a, here's a quick question for you. Do you ever feel like because of your personality, your personality, that you just don't praise well? <laughs> this is something I've always struggled with, right? Because I've always, I've always struggled with just that outward thing. So I was born in Minnesota, finished family, went to a Lutheran church. They didn't, I mean, they didn't do anything. So when you see there, you know, it's like the guys are like this always. This is how the guys stand. And I used to come on Sunday morning, and we'd be singing, and I'd be like, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. And so Pastor Paul took me aside one Sunday. He's like, you know, you're one of the leaders here. You know, it's like, can you do something different than just cross your arms when you sing? So now if you ever notice me, I'm always like this. I'm like, okay, I do, I do that. And so, and so when, I, when I really get emotive, I kind of, you know, instead of this, I do this. And sometimes I do this. And sometimes I do that. So my big fear is that we're going to, you know, and, and actually let me read this first and I'll tell you what my big fear is. But when we're going to praise God in heaven. So we have an overhead for this. This is Revelation chapter 7. And look at this. It says this. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever and ever. So think about what that's going to be like, right? Millions of people from every nation, from every time, and millions of angels all standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, Jesus Christ, seeing Him face to face. Millions of people. And they're all going to be standing there and they're all going to be praising God together. We're all going to be together at the same time. It says we're all wearing white. This stands for purity. The white robe stands for purity, right? We're going to be free from sin, free from embarrassment, free from shame, free from guilt, free from anything at all that would be a hindrance. And we have these palm branches in our hands, crying out together, praising God, singing together. Can you imagine what the corporate worship is going to be like this time? Is going to be like at that time? So my big fear is I'm going to be the one guy doing this. <laughs> It's like I'm going to be afraid to put my hands way up. I'm <laughs> my hands way up. So I was like, that's the rest I do. But it's not going to be because this is the praise that we're going to do. It's going to be millions of people, all pure, all free from sin, all together after when we're made pure and all sin has been removed, everything is gone. The, 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 the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross to forgive us, to redeem us, to, to make us holy, to make us pure. And we're all going to be together and we're all going to be praising God without any fear, without any embarrassment, just this love for God. It is the one thing that we do now that we will do in heaven. And right now, we can have real praise. We don't have to wait till heaven. We can have real praise today. We can't have perfect praise. I think in heaven it will be perfect praise, right? Because it will be free from sin. Right now, we have praise, but we still have sin. So our praise isn't perfect. But let me tell you, your praise is real. When you look around and you see the things that God has done, and you recognize what God has done, and you say, thank you, God, for doing that, that is real praise. When you think about what God will do, so there's things you see, how God works around us, how God works in the people around us, and you thank Him for that. And there's things that we don't see. God forgiving us. God's going to redeem us. God's going to bring us to heaven. Jesus Christ died for me. And you praise Him for those things you see and you praise Him for those things you don't see. That is real praise. And we don't have to wait. We can have real praise now and we can have real praise in heaven. So, one other practical thing that we can take away from this is we have in this story a picture of what God is like. And we have a picture of what God does and a picture of how God treats people. And we are called to imitate God. And so, we want to take just a minute and just think that through. This is a picture of how we are to be with each other as well. So, how does God treat us? With understanding, with compassion, with love, with patience. He's slow to anger, right? He doesn't repay us for what we did. But he knows our weaknesses and he knows our frailties. So the question is, how do you treat those people around you? Do you treat them with understanding and with compassion? Do you treat them with this awareness of their frailties and their weaknesses? Or are you offended at what they do? Do you think in your mind or do you say, how dare you do that? Especially after all I've done for you. How dare you do that? Is that what goes through your mind? 
And when they do something wrong and they apologize to you and you say, I forgive you, is that it? Is it one plane this way, one plane that way as far as we can do? Or is it something that you hold on to? Never forgetting. Always remembering where you keep a storehouse up of the things that they did wrong so at the next argument you have some ammunition. How do you treat them? Do you treat them the way they deserve to be treated? Or do you treat them the way God treats them, right? Because wouldn't it be great if we could treat them like God treats us? Wouldn't it be great to, inside of your heart, inside of yourself, who you are, just to say, you know, your very nature being gracious and merciful, being slow to get angry, being abundant in steadfast love, not keeping your anger, not dealing with those around the way you think they should be dealt with. And so this is one of these things that I encourage you just to think about and to just pray about because this is part of the sanctification. Sanctification is just we start here and God continues to make us holy, continues to make us holy, more and more holy until we're brought to heaven where He removes all sin and then we are completely holy. But there's this, there's this idea that we're getting holy and we're getting more and more. So pray for the Holy Spirit to help you in this area to be more like God. And I would encourage you to let the people in your life know by your words and by your actions and by who you are, your love for them, your compassion, and your, forgive, and your forgiveness of them. To say to them, as God loves me, I will love you. So, finally, one more um, just encouragement that when you praise God, your praise is real, even though it's not perfect. So, one of my favorite things, or so I wanted to memorize Scripture, right? And there's always this thing about memorizing Scripture that it's like if I say I'm going to recognize uh, you know, memorize John 3.16 or, you know, Philippians 1.9 or whatever it, is, whatever it is that I do, that someone's going to quiz me, right? They're going to say, all right, go ahead, what is it? All right, go ahead, what is it? All right, go ahead. And I'm going to freeze, right? And I'm not going to be able to do it. It's going to be like taking a test. So I try to memorize, but there's always this tension that I wouldn't remember and that someone would ask me. So I was listening to a guy named John Piper and he had a little podcast on memorizing and it was kind of like a question and answer kind of interview. And they said, they asked him about um, memorizing. And they said, how often do you memorize? And John Piper said this. He said, I memorize stuff every single day of my life and I forget stuff every single day of my life. He's like, there's no way you can memorize something and just always have it memorized. You're going to forget it. But you do it anyway. That was like the most freeing thing I've ever heard in my life. When I found I could memorize stuff and then just forget it, <laughs> I'm like, this is great. And so, so... I went through and I memorized the entire book of Galatians. And then I forgot it. And then I memorized the entire book of Ephesians. I forgot it. And then I did Philippians and Colossians and 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Any short book in the New Testament, I memorized every one of them. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. All of them like that. And I forgot them all. <laughs> so, but the thing is, while I was memorizing them, I was meditating on it. I was in God's Word. I was praising God. And those ideas and those concepts are who I am. They're part of me. And so even though I can't tell you where it is, I know that it's in there somewhere. And I know what God is like. But the, the freedom to forget after I memorized was like the greatest thing ever. I was unstoppable memorizing <laughs> stuff. 
And you can even ask Mickey about it because, well, I'm wasting our time now. But I had this little funny memorizing system if anybody has like 45 minutes to kill and they wanted me to know it. But it involves little stuff all over the house, long story short. But anyway, so Mickey for two years had stuff all over the house while I was trying to memorize it. But it's because I knew I could forget it. Praising God is the exact same way. We can praise God even though we're not perfect. We can praise God even though we don't raise our hands. We can praise God even though we struggle and we sin over and over. Because why? God has done real stuff. And we really praise Him for that stuff. Right? It doesn't have to be perfect. But it has to be real. And that's what God wants. God wants real praise for the things that He has done. And it is so easy for us to praise God. Because it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be real. Let me just close in prayer uh, and the band can come. Father God, we come before You, Lord, who is a gracious, loving, kind, compassionate God who understands our frailties, who understands our weaknesses, who loves us and loves us and loves us despite our weaknesses, despite our failing. And the first thing that David prays for, the first thing that he praises you for is thank you for forgiving my sins. And so Lord, we say with David, thank you for forgiving our sins. Lord, we just praise you. We praise you for all these things that you have done. We praise you for the things we see. We praise you for the things that we do not see, Lord. But we just thank you Lord, for all that You do. In Your precious and Your holy name we pray. Amen.